Welcome to National Parks Traveler, where we explore the national parks and the issues that involve them. Grand Teton National Park is an incredible place. It's rich in wildlife, mountaineering history, pioneering history, and Native American history. I first visited there in 1985, and from atop Togedi Pass just to the east of the park, the jagged Teton Range cut a spectacular panorama across Wyoming's western border. This is Kurt Repencheck, your host at the National Parks Traveler. Much has changed since that 1985 visit. Among the changes has been a more than doubling in annual visitation. What has that meant for the health of the park, for the tasks confronting the National Park Service staff in the park, and for your experience? We're going to discuss those topics today with Chip Jenkins, the park superintendent. We'll be back in a minute with Superintendent Jenkins after a short break. The Everglades Foundation, the only organization whose sole mission is to restore and protect America's Everglades. Learn more at evergladesfoundation.org. Full of stunning photography and thought-provoking reads, Smokey's Life is a biannual magazine produced by Great Smoky Mountains Association. Members receive it free of charge each spring and fall, and it is available for purchase in retail stores throughout Great Smoky Mountains National Park and online at smokiesinformation.org. Whether it be strategy, business planning, change management, board development, executive search, or diversity planning, Potrero Group is here to help. They mix a depth of experience in the parks and land space with the breadth of best practices from other industries. For more information or to schedule a preliminary conversation, go to potrerogroup.com, P-O-T-R-E-R-O group.com. Welcome back to The Traveler, Chip. How you been? Uh, doing well. Doing well. It's uh, a spectacular place to be, and it's been a good year. And we're rolling into one of the most fantastic seasons there, fall. True. Very true. So I, I've got to ask, uh, before we get into the, the, the nitty-gritty, what, what's your favorite place in the park? <laughs> not, not sure I'm going to reveal that. <laughs> <laughs> There are, uh, you know what, there are, there are many uh, fabulous places here, um, both in the park and around the park. And actually, I think one of, one of the things I will say, share as a secret is one of the best places actually to experience and view the Grand Tetons or the Grand Teton and the Teton Range is, uh, is actually from some of the adjacent Forest Service lands, um, whether you're up on Sheep Mountain or Jackson Peak or up on Shadow Mountain or, or uh, over on the Idaho side. There are some fabulous places to be able, uh, trails, uh, cross-country tra uh, travel, and uh, places to camp that afford spectacular scenery. You know, there, there really are. And um, that being said, uh, my wife and I were up in, in the park in August having a, a nice uh, three-day R&R. And um, one thing I commented to her was that, you know, it feels like such a narrow park because you've got uh, US 89, 191, 26, I think, um, going through the park. And, you know, everybody is squeezed between that highway and the Teton Range. And I, I really think you need to talk to the uh, Wyoming and the Idaho congressional delegations about maybe making Grand Teton a little bit bigger, taking some of those Forest Service lands. Um, I think it'd be a great idea. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I will just point out that those lands are, they are public lands and they are available for all of us to be able to uh, responsibly recreate on. All right. All right. We'll leave it at that. Um, what is your greatest concern for the park? I mean, uh, late this spring, you came out with the 2023 annual report, and we're, we're going to get into that a little bit uh, deeper in a little while. But I'm, I'm curious, um, what is your greatest concern for um, life in the park? Well, I will. this may not exactly be what you're looking for, Kurt, but what I will say is what my greatest concern is apathy. My greatest concern is that uh, people uh, today and going forward into the future will somehow think that somebody else will make sure that this place is uh, protected and cared for, that, uh, that people may think that it's a foregone conclusion that uh, uh, the steps and the actions that need to be taken to ensure that we have a um, intact and functioning ecosystem with a high quality visitor experience will always be here. Uh, and that somebody else will be responsible for ensuring that to happen. Um, and I think that it's important for people to understand that actually um, that responsibility is shared. That responsibility is shared by uh, those of us who work for the National Park Service who are here, but it is also shared by the American people whose parks uh, belong to them and uh, how people how people choose to come and um, enjoy and experience this place, uh, how people uh, work to support uh, the parks, whether or not they happen to be um, inside the park boundary or not. It, it takes all of us to not be apathetic uh, to ensure uh, that these places will continue to exist. You know, that's an interesting answer. Um, and, and I say that maybe this is a little bit of apples and oranges, but I think we can work through it. Um, back in 2015, I think it was, I, I sat down with uh, John Jarvis, who at the time was a director of the National Park Service. And he was concerned that the uh, American public had become apathetic about national parks in general. And uh, of course, then we saw the 2016 centennial of the National Park Service and uh, the find your park logo slogan became find another park because there were so many crowds out there. When you're talking about apathy in the park, and, and I'm sure um, there's probably many superintendents who share your feeling, what exactly do you mean? I mean, there's there's been this um, trend that, you know, people want to count coup, so to speak, with, uh, you know, I've been to Grand Teton, here's a picture of me in front of the Grand Teton, and blast, I'm off, I'm off to the next park. Uh, what, what exactly do you mean by apathy? Um, I think it's uh, uh, you know I, I, uh, let let me um, turn that around actually and and answer that by saying I think there are many of us that see that there is a um, a pyramid of engagement or a or a ladder of engagement uh, that uh, that people uh, can have with their national parks or their public lands. The foundation of that is often viewed as just like coming and having fun and doing that in a way that is uh, recreating responsibly. And so I think, you know, I think, I, again, I think there are many of us that believe that creating positive memories is an act of preservation. Mm -hmm. And so if when, when people, such as you mentioned yourself, you and your wife coming here and, you know, paddling up on Jackson Lake out of, you know, out of uh, uh, Coulter Bay, um, the, the, the time that you take together with family and friends 
in, to be uh, in the ecosystem or on the landscape and to be able to, to form uh, lasting positive memories uh, it is a form of preservation. Uh, then I think stepping up from that is take, being active in terms of introducing other people. Um, you know, br whether that is you bring your kids or your grandkids or you bring family or friends, people who may not have experienced parks uh, and teaching them how to uh, be on the landscape responsibly, how to, you know, how to recreate responsibly. Then I think a step up from there, uh, you know, is learning more taking time to be able to read a book or listen to a podcast, watch a film, go to ranger programs, and uh, to be able to learn something about the uh, natural uh, and cultural heritage uh, of these places so that you can have a deeper understanding and a deep, deeper appreciation. And then a step up from that is actually becoming involved in some way, giving in some way, whether that is giving of your time as a volunteer or um, giving uh, uh, financial support through one of the many organizations that uh, that help um, all of us work together to uh, to learn more and to conserve these places, and then of course it's um, you know participating as an active citizen, whether that's engaging in a planning project and and uh, providing comments and uh, trying to have input on decisions or working through the democratic process where you are um, making your uh, opinion known about uh, policies that you believe uh, are important for the conservation of these places. I'm wondering, do you know, I know you folks have been working on a, a visitor use management um, study. What's the average length of stay for a visitor to Grand Teton? You know, that, um, that, is, uh, that is a great question. And that is part of the, that's part of the information, you know, that we have been working to try to collect. Um, what I can tell you is, is this, is that what, what we have learned is um, Grand Teton National Park is fundamentally a day use park. By that, what I mean is, is that about 15% of our visitation are overnight visitors. So those are people that stay in the campground, uh, have a backcountry permit for spending the night in the backcountry, uh, stay in the lodging. Uh, about 85% of our visitors are day visitors. And you can look at that in terms of the traffic uh, in the mobility uh, surveys, uh, studies that we have done, which show that uh, inbound traffic um, kind of is at its peak uh, between 8 and 10 in the morning, and outbound traffic can be uh, between 10 and 4 in the afternoon, weather dependent. If there's a thunderstorm at 1 o'clock, a lot of people, you know, beat feet out of here. Uh, but it's... Uh, and, and, you know, you can experience that by, um, you know, at one o'clock in the afternoon, you can be at a place at Jenny Lake where uh, the parking lot is full and people are parked along the, the entrance road and the inner park road. But if you go up to Jenny Lake at 530 in the afternoon, the parking lot will largely be empty. So one way of looking at it is average length of stay, you know, maybe on the order of uh, six to eight hours. A different way of looking at it is um, there's a, a socioeconomic study that was done last year uh, that indicates that uh, people are staying about four days. I think I have that about right. About four days in the Jackson area. And um, and while they are in the Jackson area, they drive through Grand Teton to go up to Yellowstone for a day. Uh, they may be in Grand Teton proper inside the boundaries for two days. And then they may be off doing something else on the adjacent national forest where the Grand Tetons serve as the background view 
uh, or they are uh, on the adjacent national forest or in the community where they are seeing elk or they're seeing pronghorn or they're seeing grizzly bears. And again, where uh, Grand Teton serves as part of the refugia for that wildlife. So it's it, it kind of, um, you know, um, how you ask that question, uh, you know, I, I, I think we are uh, uh, continuing to try to understand what that means, right? Whether people are here for a few hours or they're here for uh, four or five days. And, uh, and as I point out, they may uh, go, they are experiencing Grand Teton on their way somewhere else, or they are experiencing Grand Teton as the backdrop, or they're experiencing Grand Teton as important wildlife habitat for the larger ecosystem. Yeah. I asked the question because I, I think some years ago, um, it was estimated that the average stay in a Yellowstone visit was two and a half days and maybe three days. And you just cannot see that park and all it offers in that limited amount of time. And, you know, I'm fortunate in that I, I live a half day's drive from, from Grand Teton. And so I, I get to have multiple visits, whether it's, you know, a couple times a year or, or every year. And so we try and explore a different part of the park and, and learn something different. Um, you know, this year, um, we usually use Coulter Bay as our base. Um, I love the cabins there. The, the, the marina is easy access. And one day we went up to Leaks Marina and, and put in there. And, you know, a place I'd never been, I must admit, after um, being in Wyoming since 1985 and uh, in Utah since 1993. But this, this last visit, one thing I definitely wanted to check off was, you know, you have the, um, the Native American artists at the Coulter Bay Visitor Center. And I'd never done that before. It was always a wrong time, wrong place. And we went there this year and just had a wonderful time um, talking to the artist and looking at his his prints and his uh, knives and flutes that he made and, and just really gave us a, a, a more rounded visit to Grand Teton National Park. We didn't bother going to Jenny Lake and uh, didn't climb the Teton this year. But there, there's so so many finer nuances that, you know, if, you, if you're a day visitor, unless you do live nearby and you can make multiple visits, I don't think you can fully appreciate all that Grand Teton offers. Uh, that's terrific, Kurt. Thanks. I think uh, I think I agree uh, that, you know, there is um, there are many, many different uh, aspects, many different characteristics and ways to. Um, enjoy, you know, the Grand Teton National Park. And, you know, I think that the Park Service for decades has worked to try to um, help people have that range of experiences, um, whether it is uh, uh, you're, you know, you drive up out of uh, Jackson and you come up over the hill and there is the spectacular uh, uh, first glimpse of the of the scenery you know and as you're driving through the sage flats you can not only see uh, uh the tetons but if you keep your eyes out you can be seeing pronghorn or bison and um elk uh but then there are also places like the moose wilson road which is a much more contemplative much more intimate experience it's not necessarily the grand landscape it's a much closer in uh slower paced you know, holistic senses uh, of experience. And then as you talk about the the uh, Tribal Guest Artist Program, uh, that actually has been going on here for, I believe this is the 45th year um, that's going on. And over the course of uh, 15 weeks, there are 
uh, different uh, uh, Native American guest artists that come and are here for a week uh, where they are uh, demonstrating their uh, arts and crafts. Uh, you can uh, purchase their materials. And then what we started doing last year was inviting the guest artists to be able to uh, give a program to be able to give a uh, uh, to give a talk or give a demonstration um, either during the day or evening in the amphitheater, and um, we're going to be continuing that as we go forward. We're uh, in fact, actually, we're um, we're going to be hosting uh, uh, host. We have invited um, representatives of the 24 associated tribes to come and meet with us in October, so that we can have conversations with them about how we might. Uh, how they might be interested in things that we could do in terms of expanding the opportunity for being able to share uh, tribal heritage um, in the park and specifically at Coulter Bay. We're talking today with Chip Jenkins, the superintendent of Grand Teton National Park, about the state of the park. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. National Parks Traveler has launched the National Parks RVing Guide, the definitive guide for RVers seeking information on campgrounds in the National Park System. The guide is now available free through the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. If you're a traveler who wants to explore the National Park System, you'll want this app. The guide is packed with details for campgrounds in more than 70 national parks across the country, searchable by park, state, or region. You'll also find feeds of the Traveler's content, including our latest stories and podcasts. Download the National Parks RVing Guide and start planning your next trip today. Washington State is graced with three spectacular national parks, each different and special in their own unique ways. As the official nonprofit partner and the only philanthropic organization dedicated exclusively to supporting these parks through charitable contributions, Washington's National Park Fund has a mission to raise private support to deepen everyone's love for, understanding of, and experiences in Mount Rainier, North Cascades, and Olympic National Parks. Share your passion for these parks at WNPF.org. Acadia National Park is one of the 10 most popular national parks in the United States. It's also one of the smallest and most vulnerable. That's why Friends of Acadia exists. Friends of Acadia is an independent organization of passionate people inspiring those who love this magnificent park to make a real and lasting difference for Acadia. You can make a difference at friendsofacadia.org. The Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation is the primary nonprofit fundraising partner for the Blue Ridge Parkway. It is made up of people who have a deep love for this majestic road and want to ensure that its natural beauty and the experiences it offers endure for generations to come. Show your appreciation at brpfoundation.org. So Chip, as I mentioned um, earlier this year, you came out with the 2023 annual report for Grand Teton. And in the opening pages of that report, um, you're quoted as saying, Grand Teton National Park is entrusted with protecting and preserving the diverse ecosystems majestic wildlife, stunning landscapes, free-flowing waters, clean air, and rich history of people who have called this area home. The report also mentions that uh, last year, 2022, you had 2.8 million visitors. And as I mentioned in the introduction to today's show, when I visited Grand Teton back in 1985, the deputy superintendent at the time told me that national parks were being loved to death and that year, Grand Teton saw visitation reach 1.3 million. 
according to Park Service statistics. Now you're up to nearly 3 million visitors. Your visitor use study found a 44% increase in trail use over the past five years. Are those numbers sustainable? Can you, can you identify an optimal number of visitors that will allow for preservation of park resources? Yeah, I, uh, I think what I would say is the numbers that we're currently at are sustainable. The question is, is what 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 does the future uh, bring? Right? I do think a couple of different points. Uh, here at Grand Teton, we don't think of visitation numbers uh, like a thermometer where the number goes up or down. Um, we're, we're actually thinking of it more like a balloon where, uh, because visitation occupies space, it um, time and space. And what we are seeing is that visitation is changing. So just as you pointed out in terms of the, the, um, visitation has, um, a, a, you know, peaked through the COVID years. Um, what we also saw was, as you pointed out, a 40% increase in the number of people who are on trails. So we actually were seeing more people um, going on trails and going um, uh, into the backcountry uh, than just uh, uh, the, the percentage of um, increase in terms of visitation. And we're seeing people um, recreating differently. We're seeing people um, uh, behaving differently on the landscape. So we are, we are trying to get a better understanding of what that means, what that means uh, in terms of uh, relationship with wildlife, what that means in terms of uh, quality visitor experience, uh, so that we can be uh, thinking about um, what the uh, how we adapt our management uh, as we go into the future. Yeah, I'm curious. I mean, a, a 40 to 44 percent increase in trail traffic—that's huge over five years. And I'm guessing the bulk of that is focused on the Jenny Lake area. Is that safe to say? Uh, actually, you'd be surprised. It is most of the trailheads um, throughout the park, uh, both the trails that are leading up into the canyons, as well as also trails that are um, out uh, on the other side of the park, like around uh, Two Ocean Lake, Emma Matilda, Two Ocean Lake. Um, so, uh, we're, uh, we're seeing different levels of increase of trail use in different places, but it is not just concentrated uh, at Jenny Lake. Oh, that's good to hear. And, uh, you know, like I, I mentioned earlier, it's you, you can't do Grand Teton National Park in a day because you do have all those incredible resources and all those trailheads. Um, I'm an avid hiker, and I haven't done as many as I'd like, mainly because I'm also an avid paddler. Yeah, there we go. Now, the annual report also noted that the park is continuing to build visitor services and interpretive functions based on resource, audience, and visitation conditions impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you elaborate on that? What's being done in terms of visitor services? Well, let me, um, you know, part, part of what we're trying to do is, is that uh, we have over a 90-year history here at Grand Teton of working to have a variety of different visitor experiences across the park. You know, the northern end of the range um, uh, it, it is an area where it is a lower intensity recreation, um, uh, uh, auto touring, you know, driving around, being able to see the scenery is a big part of the experience here. Uh, and then we have uh, facilities where um, where we do have more concentrated use, like at Jenny Lake, like at Coulter Bay. And so part of what we are doing is looking at 
continuing that overall uh, management philosophy of trying to disperse people across the landscape while maintaining a range of different kinds of visitor experiences. Uh, and we are doing things in terms of modifying infrastructure to be able to support people in those places where we are concentrating use. So for example, there are four new boat launches uh, and takeouts that have been created along the Snake River. Uh, that Jackson Lake Dam, we completed one last year. Pacific Creek, we completed it two years ago. And we're in the process of uh, building the one in, um, in Moose right now. And the intention behind that is to be implementing the direction of the Snake River Wild and Scenic River Management Plan, um, where we are both uh, providing access, uh, but we are also trying to make sure that the infrastructure there is you know, that we have a bath bathroom so that we are uh, protecting the water quality uh, by hand properly handling human waste. And we've got uh, parking lots uh, where we concentrate uh, parking and we can also, uh, you know, appropriately handle the runoff. Um, associated with each one of those, we're also, you know, including interpretive materials and, uh, you know, information to be able to talk about the Snake River system. And uh, in fact, we've been working with the uh, Shoshone-Bannock tribe over in the Fort Hall Reservation uh, to be able to incorporate uh, the uh, uh, tribal uh, heritage and culture in that interpretive exhibits. And what they have asked us to do is to make use of their language uh, uh, on the interpretive panels. So if you come and you see those, um, you'll, you'll, you'll see it at their request, you know, the use of their language in that educational materials. Um, we are continuing to look out in terms of other uh, other ways that we'll be uh, making changes. We're, we're at the very front end of looking at doing a major project at Mormon Row, the historic uh, Grovant town site, uh, where uh, right now, if you go out there, it's rather confusing. It's rather, um, you know, why'd the Park Service send me out there and what's that pink house about? Uh, where we... Um, you know, really want to, you know, create a sense of arrival and do justice to be able to, of telling the story of what the, the uh, early Anglo settlers um, went through in terms of uh, working there. And then our, um, one of our biggest projects that are coming up is looking at Coulter Bay. It's glad to hear that you have a fondness for that is, um, you know, Coulter Bay was uh, the pilot for Mission 66. It was uh, uh, work started there, planning in the early 1950s and construction um, in the mid-1950s. And essentially, Coulter Bay was created as a overnight base of operations. But as I said, our visitation has changed. And now we have about 2,000, 2,500 overnight visitors there. But we have 10,000 day visitors there. And, hmm. and Coulter Bay is really not set up to be able to uh, host visitation in that way. And so it, it, and Coulter Bay hasn't been touched in 75 years. So we're, uh, we're looking at a, uh, a project in terms of really trying to revitalize Coulter Bay. And um, we'll be coming out in November and December for uh, starting public scoping on that project. Well, that's good to hear. I've got a number of uh, suggestions for you. Um, but, but speaking of Coulter Bay and taking a look at how it's laid out and, and what role it serves in the park, you know, back in 2012, I believe, um, the park staff launched a similar study into redevelopment of the area with an eye to reducing impacts while improving visitor experience. What happened to that study? Was it a, a lack of money, a lack of inertia? 
you know, I wasn't here at that time, but I think what we've, uh, over the last couple of years, we took a look at that environmental assessment and what it called for. And frankly, I think it, it was, it looked too small. Um, I think it essentially was looking at just the parking uh, and the uh, uh, transportation, the circulation around the store and the entrance. And I think we're seeing that we need to take a more holistic view of look uh, uh, at Coulter Bay and um, how we can uh, really try to use that place uh, in a sense to kind of re restore it as one of the primary centers of gravity uh, uh, for, a, for a day visit in the park. And um, what are the kinds of visitor experience that we want to provide there? Water-based recreation, access to trails, um, of course, high quality overnight get, uh, visitation. Um, uh, seeing about whether or not we there's interest in uh, tribes to uh, expand work uh, to share tribal heritage and culture, and uh, to do that all in a way that uh, it, it was originally designed to be very very car centric, and so it's if you go to Coulter Bay, it feels like you need to be in your car and kind of drive everywhere. And I think we would like to create an experience that it makes it much more pedestrian and bike centric and encourage people to come park once and get out and uh, and and move around uh, 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 Coulter Bay. So it's, it's definitely interesting with uh, the, the traffic uh, routes um, circulation there. Um, I always like to see if the driver's paying attention when I cross the street. Um, it was definitely designed in a time, you know, when it was like, see the USA in your Chevrolet. And That's right. We're, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. And you've got an incredible collection of cabins there. And I, I realize um, they, were, they were brought in from, from different locations. Um, some of them might have been two different cabins that were tied together to, to make one cabin. As much as I love those cabins, Chip, um, I wonder if something more can't be done to improve the experience there. You know, when you're paying almost $300 a night and you're getting, you know, um, a, a bed and a bathroom and beat up furniture and, and empty walls, um, is that going to be part of the, the overall scheme in, in trying to, you know, um, improve the overnight stay? Uh, we are, uh, like I said, we are we are very, very early in the planning process. And what we are aiming for is... Uh, uh, starting in early November through December, uh, we're gonna be opening for public scoping. So asking people, what are the topics? What are the issues? What are the opportunities um, that people see that they would like us to address or explore at Coulter Bay? So um, that'll be a great time for you to be able to submit your comments. There you go, there you go. Um, any Any, Light, can you shed on, on some of the, the ideas that are being kicked around in, in among your staff? I mean, would you see bringing in um, more cabins for more overnight uh, accommodations for expanding the footprint of the cabins? Um, I, we are not currently uh, uh, proposing to do that. So or thinking about that. I'll tell you what, you know, I'm going to put it to you this way is I get questions all the time about, hey, Chip, when are you going to start? more actively managing visitation to the park. And I think that the reality is, is that the National Park Service has been actively managing visitation in Grand Teton for over 90 years. Um, you know, there was um, uh, a long history of 
you know, the, the idea of, ha of having the uh, outer park road being the place that was for higher speed uh, uh, transit where people wanted to go, the inner park road, a much slower, more contemplative. Um, you know, in 1971, the park's master plan that was completed actually identified that um, there was a limit in terms of uh, appropriate overnight accommodations and actually overnight accommodations were capped in 1971. So the number of the number of hotel rooms, cabins, the number of campsites, uh, campgrounds and campsites um, was set at that time and we continue to manage to that uh, to that limit. In the 1980s, uh, the park completed a backcountry management plan that codified the, uh, the use of the backcountry permit uh, where we have uh, a set number of folks uh, spending the night, not just in the backcountry, but by different zones. You know, and then as we roll forward into the 90s and the 2000s, the uh, uh, Lawrence S. Rockefeller Reserve was uh, uh, donated to the park. And in the process of doing that, there was a, a carrying capacity for visitation that was set that was tied to the size of the parking lot there. And we continue to manage to that um, on busy days. Uh, uh, you know, literally having staff there where we are managing to, once the parking lot is full, um, has to be one car has to leave before another park car can come in and park. Um, String Lake is another place where uh, we continue to adaptively manage. And again, the carrying capacity is uh, uh, connected to the size of the parking lot. We manage that a little bit differently. Instead, instead of actively managing it, we essentially let people, we inform them when the parking lot is full and then people are free to roam or or wait uh for a parking space to open uh so i think it's uh you know as we are as we are going forward and we are working now on on seeking public input around visitor experiences to help us understand what people are uh, hoping that we would aim for into the future as we continue to adaptively manage we're talking today with chip jenkins the superintendent of grand teton national park on the state of the park we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back the yosemite conservancy helps visitors connect with yosemite through adventures volunteering and the arts it's the only nonprofit dedicated to supporting yosemite national park and funds grants to improve trails restore habitat protect wildlife and inspire the next generation of nature lovers learn more at yosemite.org Maximize your savings with Interior Federal Credit Union. Explore the benefits of opening multiple certificates to diversify your savings strategy. Discover how Interior FCU's range of certificate options can help you achieve your financial goals with competitive rates and flexible terms. Learn more at interiorfcu.org. Federally insured by NCUA. The Grand Teton National Park Foundation is a private, nonprofit organization that supports projects that protect and enhance Grand Teton National Park's cultural, historic, and natural resources. By funding initiatives that go beyond what the National Park Service could accomplish on its own, foundation donors improve the visitor experience and provide benefits to the national park system for decades to come. You can see their successes at gtnpf.org. So, Chip, um, earlier on, you, you mentioned the, the Wilson Road corridor. Um, boy, what a beautiful spot in the park, uh, roaming from um, park headquarters at Moose down to, to Wilson, Wyoming. And, um, boy, if people want to see wildlife, you know, I've seen a lot of black bears there. I've seen moose there. It's just incredible. 
I think when I first um, drove that road in the last century, it might have been a dirt road, um, maybe partially paved. I know you've been doing construction down there. What what exactly is uh, the plan and what's being done and how far along are you? Sure. We So phase one of the Moose Wilson Road is nearing completion. Um, uh, we are... Uh, uh, as you point out, that that road was essentially a uh, established as a wagon road uh, that went from the the ferry crossing here before there were bridges, the ferry crossing here in Moose uh, down to uh, down to Wilson, and then actually over the Teton Pass. That was the way that people got into Jackson Hole, um, and uh, that road was uh, essentially not constructed, but was actually portions of it were paved. And so what we have done over uh, uh, this year and last year is we've gone into the first section of it, about um, about a third of it, and um, essentially constructed a road. So we pulled up the old roadbed. Uh, in some places, we went down 36 inches, uh, in order almost three feet, uh, in order to be able to construct a modern roadbed um, from the bottom all the way up. And uh, we are putting the final touches on uh, paving that section uh, of road from the Granite Entrance Station um, up to the Lawrence Rockefeller Reserve. It is still a narrow, winding road um, with a 20 mile uh, per hour speed limit on it. Uh, but we have uh, constructed it to uh, modern uh, modern standards um, so that it is uh, uh, easier to maintain um, uh, and uh, safer. Uh, in the future, uh, starting in 2025, we'll be working on the second phase of that, which is we'll be rerouting um, the northern end of the Moose Wilson Road so that it is inside the Moose entrance gate. So people who are driving up from the south uh, will only have to go through the granite entrance gate. They won't have to go back through another entrance gate uh, to, to be able to help uh, things move more, uh, more efficiently. And yeah. then we'll also be constructing, we're just putting the finishing touches on constructing um, a uh, modern trailhead at Granite Canyon. So it's got a parking lot with a bathroom and information signs. And then one of our projects out uh, starting in 25 will be the cons uh, construction of the Death Canyon trailhead. Yeah. Is there enough room to to create some pullouts as you do that? Um... So people can pull over and, and, you know, spend some time rather than being stuck in car jams or bear jams or moose jams. There have been a number, uh, there have been a number of pullouts that have been added and uh, paved. Um, but there are also places where uh, we'll have barriers up that is actually preventing people from pulling out. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a mix um, along that road. Yeah. But I will say that um, the, uh, uh, the reports that we are getting from visitors is the, the uh, state of the project is we've gotten a lot of um, positive feedback. And this is a uh, nice example of how the Great American Outdoors Act has funded uh, projects that um, help uh, uh, address deferred maintenance and uh, meet uh, visitor services needs uh, while also um, working to protect park resources. Yeah, that's been an impre uh, incredible piece of legislation that really has funneled um, millions and millions of dollars into the park system, and uh, hopefully it will be renewed by Congress um, when it comes to the end of its five-year life, which I don't think is too far down the pike, um, certainly not when you're talking about Congress. Um, there's been a lot of other work in the park in terms of battling invasive species, trying to protect white bark pines, 
as you mentioned, preserving history along Mormon Row and improving visitor access to the Snake River. Um, a lot of that work has been done with the support of the Grand Teton National Park Foundation, which has you know, raised millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars um, to help the Park Service accomplish its mission there. How, how are you doing in terms of battling invasive species? Um, they, they seem to be whack-a-mole. You know, you get rid of one and there's another one to deal with. It is, um, you know, uh, 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 dealing with uh, invasive species, uh, you know, will be a perpetual challenge, um, both terrestrial and aquatic. Uh, and so, uh, actually, I, you know, one thing I do want to, uh, you know, mention is, is that so far, Wyoming, um, here, Grand Teton, Yellowstone, we have been fortunate to be able to prevent the uh, spread of aquatic invasive species. Um, particularly uh, quagga and zebra mussels, um, while they have spread elsewhere in the country. And I think this is an example, to go back to our original comment about um, how people can uh, uh, help and not be apathetic, but we need people to be really, really diligent, really careful in terms of when they uh, want to bring watercraft here and that they are making sure that their uh, watercraft is clean uh, so that uh, we don't see the uh, invasion of uh, quagga mussels or whatever else might be coming next after those. Terrestrial, uh, you know, um, vegetative species, uh, we're very, very fortunate that we have a, um, a talented and energetic uh, vegetation management crew. They work very closely with the county and the state uh, on uh, doing a, a continual update of a threat assessments of uh, the uh, changing conditions of different um, species, and then actively out working, uh, whether it's pulling or using herbicides. In fact, actually, this time of year, right, right now, um, there's a big effort afoot to uh, try to um, address the spread of cheatgrass. Um, it's the it, it's the time of year where where the crews are working to uh, uh, to deal with that. Um, I know a huge issue across the national park system is employee housing. Um, I know you've mentioned it in the past, and I know it's one of your top priorities. How are things coming along with that? You know, it's uh, it, it continues to be a, a, a challenge. I think Grand Teton is relatively unusual in that we have to have such a high percentage of our employees in government housing. Um, uh, we would prefer that was not the case. Uh, but essentially, we are like most other institutions and organizations in this part of the world where we're recognizing we have to have about 95% of our employees in uh, government housing. Because um, it's just, the, the uh, I, I believe the median house price now around here is like $3 million. Um, it's just not possible for people to be able to afford or find places either to buy or rent within a commuting distance. Um, but we have been fortunate uh, in that um, uh, the budget passed this last year uh, has provided uh, funding for us. We are in the process of negotiating a contract to build up to six new housing units here in Moose. Uh, we have a project that's going on in partnership with the Grand Teton Foundation where we are adaptively reusing the Roy Chambers um, house where we're going to create four seasonal beds there. And then we have a number of other projects that are uh, we're just beginning to, we're, to get uh, funding thanks to our region and Washington office to be able to start the design process on adaptively reusing some other historic structures and to take buildings that are currently vacant and to be able to rehab them and upgrade them and to be able to make use of them as housing. Uh, but right now, 
we did a very, very comprehensive analysis that we keep up to date where we looked at literally every position on our organization chart to assess whether or not those positions needed to be here in the park or could work remotely. We identified five to six positions that might be able to work remotely, but then the rest, we are, we are about 30 beds short of meeting our housing needs. Um, and again, thanks to thanks to support from our Washington office, we are getting funding where you know four and five at a time we're be, we're going to be able to make progress on reducing that deficit. Yeah, great to hear. You know, we've covered a lot of ground, Chip. Um, is there anything else you'd like to point out or mention? Uh, the one thing it's I mean it's a bit timely is is that we do have a public comment period open right now on our um, visitor experience uh, uh, management. Um, people can go to our uh, website, our visitor experience uh, management website to be able to look at a story map and access the uh, link to be able to provide us comments. We need people's help in terms of helping uh, of providing your input on where you think uh, the visitor experience at Grand Teton National Park ought to go over the next 10 or 20 years. Well, it'll be an interesting uh, um, public response to hear that. And uh, certainly, um, if you're a repeat visitor to Grand Teton National Park, you're, you're going to be interested in seeing that Coulter Bay uh, development plan come out and um, what type of ideas spring about for that. Chip, it's been great talking with you today. Um, I appreciate your time. and. Uh, We'll have to catch up down the road to see what those uh, public uh, comment periods um, tell you. You got it. You got it. Thanks, Kurt. Appreciate the time. That's our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Grand Teton National Park really is an incredible park with more than meets the eye once you get done gazing at the Tetons. Take your time when you visit. One day is really not enough. For The Traveler, this is Kurt Repencheck. See you in the parks. The composers and musicians at Orange Tree Productions have created a unique collection known as the National Park Series that has grown to include more than 30 CD titles. Composed against the backdrop of a park's sounds of nature, these musical scores will connect you with these beautiful places and take you there, at least in your mind. This collection is the number one selling National Park audio series in the world and provides the background music for National Parks Travelers podcasts. Visit them at orangetreeproductions.com. Editing and production work for the National Parks Traveler podcast is done by Splitbeard Productions. You can learn more about us at splitbeardproductions.com. National Parks Traveler is a 501c3 nonprofit media organization that provides daily editorial coverage of national parks and protected areas. Traveler's coverage is made possible by reader and listener donations. Visit us at nationalparkstraveler.org.